0: As we start this this message today, as I look out among this vast audience, I want to tell you today that there's four kinds of people in here. There's some who are in the crowd. You know who Jesus is. Maybe you've heard about Him. Maybe you've even expressed an interest at some point. But that's where it's ended. There's some in here who are part of the congregation. You're fairly regular in church attendance, you may even bounce back from one church to another. And that's about the, 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 the state of your commitment. There's another one, another group that's the church. These are regular attenders. You may, you, maybe you come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night, but that's it. And then there's the group that I believe God is calling all of us as born-again believers in Him to be, and that's the core. These are the dangerous disciples. These are the 20% of the people that do the 80% of the work. And I want you to know something, folks, that God does not call us. When He calls us to follow Him, He does not call us to ride the bench. He calls us to get in the game and do it. And sometimes it's going to be bloody, sometimes it's going to be ugly, sometimes it's going to be nasty and it's going to be hard, but if it wasn't, we wouldn't need, we wouldn't need Jesus. And today I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Verses 25 through 35. The the title of today's message is Dangerous Difference Making Disciples. Try saying that ten times real fast. Dangerous Difference Making Disciples. People who make a difference in the world for Jesus and who are dangerous to the kingdom of hell. See, Satan and his demons know the name Jesus. But do they know your name? When you get up in the morning. Is Satan in hell with his demons trembling because of what you're going to do for the glory of God? Because of who you're going to talk to? Does the name First Baptist Church of Willis, Texas make him cringe? Because there's somebody else who's coming to faith in Christ. Because there's somebody else who's going to be baptized. Because there's somebody else who's going to surrender to ministry and go over to a deep, dark part of some remote country somewhere and share the message of Jesus Christ. The sad reality is, that Christianity is losing by and large in America today because there's not enough of us making a difference. There's not enough of us who are being dangerous with our faith. And I want to talk about that for just a little bit. I want to talk about how we can be part of the core, the dangerous difference-making disciples who take on hell with a water pistol. First thing is this. In order to do that, we've got to serve and love Jesus completely. In Luke chapter 14... Verses 25 and 26 says this, Now great crowds were traveling with him. And so Jesus turned to him and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother and father, his own wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We're going to stop right there. Jesus a lot of times used um, different figures of speech to teach. Here he's using what's called hyperbole. It's an intended exaggeration. The word hate in Greek means to prefer above. That is not giving you children and you teenagers the, right, the carte blanche to go in there and start hating your parents. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is this. Anything that we prefer or put above him makes us unworthy to be a disciple of his. We must serve him and love him supremely jesus doesn't want to be number one on your list he wants to be your list he doesn't want to be just something else that you fit around your schedule he wants your schedule to fit around him and the problem in the world today is and especially in american christianity is that we've got too many christians trying to serve too many masters and jesus said it can't be done he said you cannot serve more than one master so let me ask you a question when the push comes to shove What master are you serving? What master are you serving? See, Jesus doesn't give you a job just for you to have money. Jesus doesn't put you on a team just for you to get a starting position. Jesus doesn't put you in a marriage just for you to have a companion. He does those things so you will bring Him glory and honor in what He's given you to do. You're at that job to be a representation of Him. Not just to make money, get glory, and die. You're at that job to lead people to a greater knowledge and appreciation of who He is. You're on that team, or you're in that band, or you're you're in that class. Not to just do the things of school, but to lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You're in that marriage. Not just to have somebody to share life with, but so everybody in your house would come to know that there is only one God. There is only one name under heaven. Where might somebody may be saved It's the name of Jesus? And not enough of us serve and love Jesus supremely. We've got so many things going on in the world today. And it takes so many days. I mean, it's hard for us even sometimes to to think about God until Saturday night. There's 168 hours in a seven-day week. And yet we find it hard to give Jesus one sometimes, don't we? There's 168 hours in a seven-day week. And for most of us or a lot of us, sometimes the only time we give Jesus is on Sunday. But when Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago, He gave us something a lot more than time. He gave His life, didn't He? And when He calls you and I to follow Him, He calls us to give Him our lives. To say this, Jesus, may everything I do, may everything I say, may my marriage, my job... my my school status, may everything be to your glory. Why? Because you are God. We've got to stop serving and loving other masters. Jesus said you can't do it, you'll love one and hate the other, or you'll hate one and love the other. In Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, Peter, Jesus' best friend, but also the same guy who denied knowing him three times. And John are standing before some people, they, they've just uh, seen a, a, a man healed, and this is what they say, when they had summoned him, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Those are dangerous disciples, man. Who say this, you know, we've seen men rise to de- rise from the dead. We've seen people's sight restored. We've seen lame men get up and walk. We've seen Jesus in his, in his glory resurrected from the dead. And we're not going to stop talking about it. We're not going to stop preaching about it. And it doesn't matter what you do to us. Can I tell you something? A lot of us are scared of what other people are going to do to us. To make a stand for Jesus. Or what a lot of people are going to say about us. To make a stand for Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is not about you and everybody else. It's about you and Him. Therefore, if there's anything between you and Him, athletics, academics, family, sin of any nature that might be between Him and you, then it's your job. It's not your pastor's job. It's not your Sunday school teacher's job. It's your job to get it right. And you will never be the dangerous disciple He's called you to be until you serve and love Him supremely. Until he is the thing in your life. Not one of the things, not some of the things, till he is that thing. Your list. Till he's what puts you to, gets you up in the morning and puts you to bed at night. In countries like China, Africa, places like that where the Christian center of the world has, has moved to, there are people who are being martyred for their faith. physically martyred there's babies who are being ripped from their parents because their parents will not denounce their faith in jesus yet daily in america people go to their workplaces people go to their schools people go to their homes and their lives they might not denounce jesus with their lips but they do it with their lives we're not dangerous disciples anymore the second thing we must do not just should we serve and love jesus supremely but we should see ourselves and live our lives. As dead people. Look at verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We don't, know what, we don't understand what the cross means anymore. For some of us, it's just another piece of jewelry. And I would venture to say that in a lot of churches today in America, we've lost the horror and the power of the cross. We don't understand that when somebody was seen in Jesus' time carrying their cross, everybody knew that they were about to die. Everybody knew it. Anybody who's ever been around law enforcement knows that when a prisoner is headed to the electric chair to lethal injection, a lot of times there's a saying going on, dead man walking. And that's what you and I as followers of Jesus are to be, dead people walking. Walking. Jesus, said, uh, Paul said it this way, I am crucified with Christ in Galatians 2.20. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I live, I live by faith in the one who gave himself for me. See, we are supposed to live as if this world has nothing to offer us. Carrying our cross, dying to ourselves means this, that we subject ourselves to the lordship of Christ on a daily basis. There's not enough Christians in churches today that are dying. We've got our own agendas. We know how things ought to happen. We've got our own way of doing things. And we're content with living a mediocre, powerless life because we're not willing to die. Can I tell you something? You'll never know how to live until you're, until you're willing to die until you're willing to come to the cross of Jesus and lay all that stuff down and say, Jesus, I'm dying to this. I'm dying to this. It's killing my marriage. I'm dying to this addiction with your strength and your power because it's ruining my life. Jesus, I'm laying my pride at the altar, and I'm saying, take it because I can't handle it anymore. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11, it says these words. We are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's not enough Christians today who are dead to sin. More more of us are living in sin. And there's not enough of us who are willing to count the cost to stop living our life of sin and lay it at the altar. Because when Jesus nailed it on the cross and He said, it is finished and He rose from the dead, listen, we have the power. We have the power to lay that stuff at the feet and say, "Jesus, I'm struggling with this sin, but with Your power, I know I can overcome it." And there's not enough of us who are willing to do that. We must die. See ourselves as dead people who are willing to to give our lives, to live our lives under the subjection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because He's God and we're not. When was the last time you parted a big thing of water and you know and let a million people walk across? When was the last time you or I created something in six days that was massive and on the seventh day we took a rest? When was the last time you or I just touched somebody and saw them get stuff back and, you know, saw them healed? When was the last time you or I did something in our own power that was something so amazing it affected generations to come? None of us, you know why? Because we're not God. And if we're not God, why do we keep living our lives like we are God? Calling our own shots, doing our own thing, living life how we want to live it. Because there's one God and His name is Jesus. See, we may not, in America, we may not necessarily bow to Buddha, we may not necessarily bow to some other God, but in the church we bow to the God of self. And if the band is too loud or too soft, if they don't sing what we want them to sing, if... if, if it's too hot or too cold, if, if the sermon is something that touches me on a nerve and I, and I don't like it, I've got the right to get mad. No, you don't, because it's not your church. It's not my church. It's God's church. And what goes on in a church and what happens in a church should be stuff that God has ordained to happen, which really and truly means that our opinions in the whole scheme of things matter very little. If it were up to me, we would sing Chow to the Lord every Sunday. And it would be something that would be written in, like, um, books from here to Tijuana. I mean, that would just be the national song. Everybody would sing it. Everybody would know it. That is my favorite song. I want it played 18 times at my funeral. I mean, I'm, I'm praying that Jesus will have it playing when I get to heaven. I mean, that is my song. But when it's not sung, I don't go pout and throw a royal hissy fit thinking, because you know what? It's not about me. And Christianity is not about us, it's about Jesus. Next thing, number three, is that we've got to uh, strongly finish the lives that we've, strongly finish the job that we've been given to do. In verses 28 through 30 of chapter 14 For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he's laid the foundation and cannot finish it, the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, this man started to build, but he wasn't able to finish. Now, we have a brand new building, and this thing is very, very nice. I mean, I venture to say it's beautiful. But what would have happened if when we sat down to say, hey, we're going to build this new worship center, if we had sat down and we didn't take into consideration how much everything was going to cost Or how much much the resources were going to be. And we sat down and come to find out, we've got just enough for a roof. What would have happened? There would have been some ridiculing going on. There would have been some people in hot water. Because all this money was spent and all we got was a roof for it. Because what started off so well didn't get finished so well. And see, a lot of us in the Christian life, we start off very well. We don't finish too good, do we? Somewhere along the line, something happens in church, we get our feelings hurt, we bail on God. We may be rocking along with Jesus one minute, then the next minute, some catastrophe happens and we're giving up on Him. And you know what? God has not called us to start well, He's called us to finish the race that we've been called to do. And there's a lot of us that are spiritual quitters, we're coasting in life on a... In baseball, stopping at third base when you can score does no more for the team than striking out does. And so many times in the Christian life, we stop at third base. And there's somebody else that needs to hear the message of Jesus. There's a Sunday school class that needs to be taught. There's all this stuff. But we're coasting rather than following God. We've got to finish the race He's called us to do. How many of you guys ever heard the name Braun Clifford or Chuck Templeton? I didn't think so. How many of you guys ever heard the name Billy Graham? I want you to know something. Chuck Templeton and Braun Clifford came on the scene the same time Billy Graham did. As a matter of fact, Chuck Templeton went on missionary trips with Billy Graham. There's a, two different outcomes, though. We all know that Billy Graham is still, at 80-something years old, preaching Jesus, packing stadiums. Braun Clifford and Chuck Templeton used to do the exact same thing. But why is it when you go to Charlotte, North Carolina, you don't see Braun Clifford Expressway? You don't see Chuck Templeton Road? Let me tell you what happened. Braun Clifford, after years of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, was found day, dead in a third-rate hotel room in Amarillo, Texas, with liquor bottles thrown everywhere. He had left his wife, left his kids, and died. In a third-rate hotel hotel room in Amarillo, Texas. Chuck Templeton once preached at Baylor University on the deity of Christ, on his, godly, on his godhood, on the fact that Jesus was God, preached for so long that they canceled afternoon classes. Several years later, Chuck Templeton got on a crusade to prove that Jesus wasn't God. Yet here we are All of our generations have been affected by a man named Billy Graham. Because he is determined to live each day as it it would be his last. He is determined to live each day to the fullest, not knowing when God's going to take him. And understand something, as long as you have breath in your body, and as long as God leaves us on earth, we have a job to do. And that's to go into all the world and make disciples. And if God hadn't taken it to be with him in glory yet, and there's no spiritual retirement. He's not calling you to coast. He's calling you to come around that, that anchor lap of that long race and kick it into high gear because there's people that are dying and going to hell. There's people that need to know the reality of Jesus Christ. God may, be, may have that person just in your mind right now because you know what? He wants you to talk to him. We've got to stop being spiritual quitters. who leave the job of reaching people for Jesus to staff members, to evangelists, to people that can preach. There's people in this room right now that will reach, have, the, have the potential to reach more people in a calendar year than your church staff does. You know how I know that? Because you're around them every day. And God wants to use you. Because there's nothing greater than seeing somebody you talk to come to Christ. That's an amazing feeling. And it's even more amazing when you feel like, man, I had something to do with that. God is calling some of us today to finish strong. There's some of you in here who may be discouraged. You seem like you're, you're, you're living for God. You're talking about God. You're doing all the things you're supposed to do and nothing's happening. And you're ready to give up. Can I tell you something? It's worth the fight. It's worth the fight. It's worth the pain. It's worth the the struggle. Because God's Word does not return void. But it accomplishes what it was sent out to do. The next thing is we must surrender control of our lives to Jesus. And to best illustrate this point, I want to take you to a clip from one of the most amazing movies i've ever seen a movie called facing the giants and, we, and uh, i want you to watch this clip we're going to talk about the concept of surrendering control of our lives to jesus can we turn those back lights off
1: I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God in whom I trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be safe from my enemies. Lord Jesus, would you help me? I need you. Lord, I feel like there's giants of fear and failure just staring down at me, waiting to crush me. And I don't know how to beat them, Lord. I'm tired of being afraid. Lord, if you want me to do something else. Show me. If you don't want me to have children, so be it. But you're my God. You're on the throne going to have my hopes and my dreams. Or give me something. Show me something. In that
0: clip, Grant Taylor is the coach of a football team who hasn't had a winning season in six years. And he stumbles across a meeting of dads of the football team who think there needs to be a change. And on top of him not winning... He finds out that he and his wife are unable to have children because of of something in in, in his system that does not allow that. And he's driven to his knees at a point where he says, God, I have nowhere else to turn. And I love what he said. He said, I will love you, O Lord, my God. And then he says, you are my guide. You are on the throne. He got to a point where he said, God, I give up and I acknowledge the fact that you're on the throne. In order for us to be dangerous, difference-making disciples, you and I have to surrender control of our lives to Jesus. And and Jesus in Luke 14 in verses 31 through 32 says these words, Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation And ask for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions. cannot be my disciple. Jesus is asking in that passage. He he lays down the idea of two rival kings. When one king realized that they were not going to be able to beat the other king. Their army was not as powerful as the other one. Many times they would send a delegation out say we surrender and the king that sent the delegation out would then many times be enslaved to the conquering king in christianity today we have a conquering king and his name is jesus christ there's not enough of us who are surrendering to him becoming His slave saying, God, I don't necessarily understand what's going on. I don't like what's going on. But you are on the throne. You are God and I am not. You're not calling me to understand it. You're just calling me to trust you. And I do because you're God. And see, I believe one reason we don't surrender to Jesus anymore is because we don't understand how big and mighty and powerful he is. See, we have this concept of who Jesus is. He's got long flowing brown hair. He's always got a smile on his face. He gives us blessings like grandparents give toys to kids. He's just meek and mild-mannered. Read the Bible and what it says about Jesus. We don't serve a sissified, pansified Jesus. We serve a God who is a powerhouse. A God who had every drop of blood spilled out of His body for you and for me. A God who had His body torn to ribbon and shred where you could see the muscles and the tendons and the arteries hanging out. That's the God that we serve. A God who could go 40 days in a wilderness without eating. Most of us can't go one TV show without something to eat. Me included. We serve a God Who is amazingly powerful, and yet so many times in the Christian life we don't surrender to him because we don't really believe how great is our God. And yet, so often what happens is our lives are in shambles and we blame the very God that we won't surrender to for it being in shambles. Listen, as cool, as as mighty and awesome and powerful as God is, he's also loving enough to give us a choice. the choice has been going back all the way since adam and eve they had a choice whether or not to eat of the fruit and because of their choice we're affected and when you and i don't surrender to god people in our lives are affected when we choose to be the god of our own lives and live life how we want to and look at things on the internet like we shouldn't and and gossip and do all the things that we think are okay for us to do because we, want to, we don't want to listen to the, to the authority of God, then it affects more than just us. And I'd venture to say that there's a world that's lost and going to hell because American Christianity has taken the God away from Jesus and put it on themselves. It's time for us to surrender to Him as God. Not as a God, not as a concept, but as God. The same God who parted the Red Sea. The same God who created the world. The same God that did all the miracles you read about in the Bible is still the same God today. And I think we've lost sight of that. Because if we truly hadn't lost sight of it, then our worship services would be more a time of celebration than a funeral dirge. So many times we come to church with scowls on our faces with the worries of the world, not intending to meet with the king, but intending to go dine with a pauper that we call Jesus. Man, maybe if we started seeing Jesus as God, maybe the attitude of our worship services would be so contagious it would spill out to others in Willis who, want to, who don't have what we have. Maybe it would be so contagious that the state of Texas would come under revival. Maybe it would be so contagious that the United States would come under revival. So contagious that the Christian center of the world would move away from Asia, would move away from Africa, and would come back to America where it was started. If you and I will see God for who He is, And surrender. See, it happened in Isaiah. 500 years before the birth of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah says this in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Could it be today that maybe you're not seeing God move in your life? Because there's something else dominating your life other than Jesus. Jesus. There's something else that you've placed on the throne of your heart other than Jesus. And maybe tonight you need to come and surrender. Today you need to come and surrender to Jesus so that you can see God move because it wasn't until King Uzziah, the most dominant figure in Babylon at the time, got out of the way that Isaiah saw God. Maybe that's the same thing for you. And the last thing, in order for us to be dangerous, difference-making disciples. We must salt the world and those around us. Verses 34 and 35. Now salt is good. Amen. But if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? Check this out. It isn't even fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Anyone who has ears should listen. Roman soldiers many times were paid in salt rations. The the Greeks even said that salt could add soul to things that are dead. And as I think about that, and I think about the concept of salt, and I think about how Jesus in a couple of occasions in Scripture calls us salt of the world, I want to ask you some questions. What does salt do? Well, one thing it does is it preserves. It preserves. It keeps things from going rotten. Maybe the problem in the world today is that Christians haven't been salty enough that the and, and can I tell you something, the world's getting more and more wor- it's getting worse each and every day. You turn on the TV, you pick up the paper, you, you, you hear about all these things that are going on. Maybe it's because we haven't been preserving the truth of God's word. Maybe it's because we haven't been the salt to a lost and dying world and instead of it going good it's gone bad. Another thing salt does is it's used as an antiseptic to clean things. Salt can clean things. Maybe God wants First Baptist Willis to be a cleaning agent for people who are dirty and sick. I want you to know something. The church is not a country club for the clean. It's a hospital for the sick. It's a place where people who are diseased and, and sick from sin can come and find hope and rest and peace and power in Jesus Christ. And maybe we're supposed to be that cleaning agent. Or maybe God's calling you to, to introduce somebody to the original dust buster, Jesus Christ. Another thing salt does is it fertilizes. It causes things to grow. Men, are your, are your families growing in Christ because of your spiritual leadership? Are they? Do your boys and girls at your house know more about Jesus and the things of God than they do things of, about TV characters? Action figures. Sports figures. Because can I tell you something, men? Men. One of the reasons the ball in America has gotten dropped is because we've dropped it. God God means for men to lead. Men to take the banner and run. God has always intended it to be that way. And folks, if there is not God in the home, there's a great chance that it's because the men have dropped the ball on it. Ladies, is your husband growing spiritually because you're encouraging him to do so? because you're praying for him, because you're encouraging him with notes that you're writing, saying, hey, I really appreciated the way you modeled Jesus today by doing the dishes or something like that. It really made me happy to see you in God's Word. I'm so thankful to be married to a godly man, because sometimes even the most manly man needs a good urging sometimes. thought was used as fertilizer? cause things to grow. Are you causing things and people in your circle of influence to grow? Another thing salt was used for is flavoring. It brings the best out. It it brings out the best in things. Let me ask you a question. The people that you're the closest to, are they better off for knowing you? The people that you're closest to, the people that you hang with, are they better off? Are their lives better spiritually because they know you? Because you've profoundly impacted their lives. Because you poured a little salt in their life. And you brought the flavor out. I'd venture to say that for most of us, that couldn't be said as true. There are some of us in here that, yes, others' lives are better for knowing us. But there's others of us who as soon as I made that statement, almost passed out. And the reason is this, listen. Because sometimes we don't take seriously the commands of Christ. Sometimes we don't take it seriously. We may hear it. We may amen it. We a lot of times don't ever take it seriously enough to go outside the door with it. A dangerous disciple doesn't just hear the Word, they apply the Word. They take what they've heard and they, go and they go on the attack in the world with the Word. Why? Because it's the power of the Word that changes lives. And what you've heard today is the truth. Well, John, how do you know it's the truth? Because this book was written in the span of about 1,400 years by 40 different authors, many of who didn't know each other. It was written on three continents in three different languages. It was written by th- people like kings and preachers, and peasants and shepherds, all with one underlying message. That God is crazy about you and me. So crazy about us and so, so desiring for a community with you and so desiring for an intimate bond like a brotherly bond with us that the only way he could do it was sacrifice his son. I've got two boys of my own. Two little studs. And um, praise God, they look like their mama. Um, But bro Charles you weren't supposed to amen that Um, (laughs) but my four-year-old Wade and my two-year-old Dylan man they bring me so much joy as a dad and I didn't understand you know why why a lot of times parents were so proud of their kids so I started having kids and man I mean they just do I mean Wade learns how to write his name and there's a party in our house you know um Dylan Dylan learns how to throw a ball I'm I'm ready to sign him up to play for the Astros right now and uh and it, I love those two boys deeply and from the bottom of my heart. And there's no way in the world that I would ever consider letting them die in somebody else's place. Because I can't stand it when they're hurt. It drives me crazy when they're in pain. But you know what? That's what it means when it says that God so loved the world. He didn't just love the world. He so loved it. That He was willing to sacrifice His Son, Jesus. For you and for me. That's the story of the Bible. Therefore, based on what Jesus did for us, He's asking us to do a few things for Him. And one of the things He's asking us to be is be dangerous, difference-making disciples. People who don't just say they're a Christian, but people who model and wear Christianity with honor and courage who will stand up for righteousness, who will stand up for holiness, who will stand up and be counted for the cause of Christ, and who will stop running away. So I ask you today, if you're not one of the core, one of the 20% 20 that does the 80% of the work, could it be that you don't serve and love Jesus supremely? Could there be something else that you've given your heart's affection to? Could it be maybe that that you don't see yourselves as a dead person? The fact that Jesus died so that we we would die and we would put everything under under His authority and under His subjection. We would decrease so that He would increase. Maybe somebody at your job doesn't know Jesus because there's too much of you in the picture and not enough of Him in the picture. Maybe you're on the verge of quitting spiritually, if you haven't already. Maybe you started off well. Maybe you're having a hard time finishing strong. Today, could you be here and say that your life is not surrendered to Jesus? First, for salvation, you've been trying to, you think God's going to just let you into heaven because you're a good person, because you're well respected in the community, because you came to church. Jesus said, He's the only way to heaven, there's no other way but Him. Maybe you haven't surrendered control of an area of your life. Maybe there's an addiction that's got you. Maybe there's something that you can't let go of. Maybe you're, maybe there's this feeling that you have to be loved and have to be accepted and have to be a, approved of by everybody else to validate you as a person. Maybe you need to surrender that to Jesus. And finally, maybe you need to be sought. You need to bring flavor to people. You need to help them grow. Maybe you need to be a cleaning agent and bring the power of God's truth from His Word to them. Maybe you need to preserve people and encourage them spiritually. I don't know where you are today, but I do know this. That God's message was presented. And the choice is now yours as to what you're going to do. And God doesn't ever... Force His way on people. He gives us the freedom of choice. And the freedom to choose what we're going to do and when we're going to do it. But I can promise you this, if you prolong making a decision for God today that He's calling you to make, it'll be a lot harder tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day to make that same decision. If God's calling you to respond to something, you respond today. Maybe you're hearing for the first time you realized... That you would spend eternity in a place called hell because you do not, you and your sin is not forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, you're a good person. You're well respected in the community. You go to church. But you've never surrendered your life to Jesus totally and completely. The Bible says if your life was taken from you tonight, you would spend eternity in a real place called hell, completely separated from the presence of God. And hell is real. Don't let anybody tell you it's not. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, you know without a shadow of a doubt that if your life ended here on earth, you would go to be with Jesus in heaven. But you're not making a difference in the world, you're sure not making a dent in the kingdom of hell. And tonight maybe God had or today maybe God had this message for you to challenge you to be dangerous to the kingdom of hell and to be a difference maker in the world. I don't know where you are, but I do know this. That God wants to use you. And he wants to move in your life. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to invite the, the accompanists to their to their position and the praise team to theirs. And uh, they're going to lead us in an invitation song, a song for you to respond to God however he, you, he sees fit. Whether it's at the altar, whether it's coming and making a public profession of your faith in Christ.